Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And today we're talking about a word that I learned not too long ago, and that is femphobia. It sounds scary. Yes, it is. (laughs) No, it is. Yeah, it is. Because it is insidious, and it is creeping around in so many different places. And before we get into what I consider it to be one of uh, the most challenging examples of femphobia. Let's talk about what it is and why we are bringing it up. Yes. Uh, femphobia is defined as the devaluation, fear, and hatred of the feminine. So anything that is traditionally uh, feminine-related or related to I- femininity um, whether that's like softness and emotions and sensitivity, et cetera, or just like things like the color pink and high heels. It's just hating on all those things. Yeah. And Julia Serrano, who wrote Whipping Girl, I don't know that she coined femphobia, but she has uh, been a catalyst for a lot of conversations about femphobia. She writes w- about it more within the context of transgender Issues and feminism, uh, but from just kind of a, a bird's eye view, uh, Skeptic also wrote about this, and, and she defines it as a subset of sexism that suggests that femininity and other things regarded as feminine are inherently inferior. In other words, one example is uh, that she used, actually, Skeptic brought up, was uh, these science kits. I believe they were put out in, by a British company. One was cool and gadgets and neat things for boys. And the mm-hmm. other one was pink, and it was for girls. And everyone flipped out because the other one was pink. And by virtue of the color pink and the femininity associated with it, people freaked out about it. Kind of the same kind of thing with the Lego Friends line that we talked about mm-hmm. a while ago. Right. Like questioning why it needs to be separate. Separate and a different color. But the argument is made, like it was made for Legos, if it gets girls interested in doing science, like if they buy the science kit because it's pink, you know, if it gets them interested, is that a bad thing? Right. And then it's the whole issue, too, of this, because uh, if you think about femphobia, really the the troubling part that is underlying it is the fact that masculinity and masculine attributes are seen as a positive for everybody. For instance, a tomboy is okay, but a sissy is something that is totally not okay. Uh, you know, just in general, it's okay for a woman to do masculine things, but a lot of times it's not okay for a man to do traditionally feminine things or exhibit feminine traits, even down to the clothing that we wear. There were, there was that photo of uh, the dad in Germany who was wearing a skirt out with his young son who was wearing a dress, kind of in solidarity just to say, hey, it's okay. In this one image, even on our Facebook page, stirred enormous controversy in the way that a mom wearing trousers certainly would not. And while that might seem like a, a benign example, it's... I don't know. I think the fact that it is so could seem so benign as the fact that it's also uh, 
so pervasive. Right. Well, so there's the societal thing of like, it's okay. And we've talked about this a lot in the podcast. You know, it's okay for girls to like masculine things, but not vice versa. But then there's the whole like within womanhood kind of thing uh, that we're talking about. Um, for instance, the writer over at Skeptic, when she was talking about this pink science kit, she was, you know, horrified by it, and she was horrified by a lot of other things, kind of along those lines, the pink toys, whatever. And she talks about a lot of women who she considered other. You know, she didn't want to be one of, quote, those girls with their pink and their cattiness and their girliness. Definitely putting up a wall and saying, you're other, I don't like you, uh, you're not the kind of woman that I want to associate with. Yeah, because you're not, it's, it's not taken as seriously. And so going back to, to Julia Serrano, author of Whipping Girl, uh, she talks about how culture is replacing the fear and hatred of women, what we would typically think of as outright sexism, uh, with the fear and hatred of things commonly associated with women, which one of the reasons why I wanted to, to bring this up on the podcast is that I feel like it's, such a slippery slope and so much easier for that to happen and for it not to be called out as problematic compared to just saying, hey, women are inferior. Hey, that's wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, gender equity, come on. But when it gets into all these cultural associations that we have in valuing uh, the masculine over the feminine and saying that one is one is strong while the other is weak is it's just a different brand of sexism, I guess you right. could say. And then there's this whole idea of tying um, femininity and feminism together, how they're sometimes at odds and not all people who call themselves feminists want to be associated with femininity. They think it's kind of a negative thing because it's a creation of the patriarchy, like this whole pink womanhood thing. It's its all created by the patriarchy to keep us down. You're only pleasing men. You're only trying to be sexy for men. It's a means of controlling women. And over at Skeptic, they point out, you know, we do have to keep in mind that for many across gender identities, femininity can be a natural, empowering, or even depending on who you are and how you were raised, a radical identity. Yeah, and this isn't something that we are going to get in depth on this episode, but this links to the concept of intersectionality um, that Julia Serrano again talks a lot about and how femphobia and this uh, sort of devaluation of the feminine isn't so much just a danger for cisgender females, which are people who are born and assigned female at birth and... Uh, and adopt that those those gendered qualities. It's not just a problem for for that set. It's also a problem for really anybody because it creates um, it reinforces a gender binary. It again like dictates like what uh, gender performance is and is not okay. Which is stronger? Which is better? Right. And um, when we start shaking our fingers at something that might seem too dainty or too frilly, I think that it's worth stopping for a moment and wondering why that is such a problem. And for a good breakdown of this, uh, there is a post by Ozzy France uh, that you can find at thegoodmenproject.com, and it's called, No, Seriously, What About Temens? And that's T E H. M-E-N-Z. And this was where I first read about femphobia. Um, and Ozzy points out that it's possible to critique femininity without critiquing feminine 
people. And uh, for me personally, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about femphobia is because we spend lots of time in the lady blogosphere. And in my personal experience, I think there's a lot of femphobia going on about ladies hating ladies for liking to be ladies and even using the word lady. <laughs> and this is just one and this is just one example. Let me clarify that. But I think it's one to call out because uh for our listeners at least, I have a feeling it's something that we might all be familiar with. Yeah, and before we dive into some specific examples of columns and stuff that we have found, um I do think it's there seems to be this pervasive attitude of like, well, you're not doing a very good job representing women. And to that, when I when I repost like that, I mean, you can get caught up in the snark and the humor of it all. But I feel like reminding some of these writers, you know, not everything has to be for everyone. And not every site that is dedicated to women has to be dedicated to all women. And you as a woman don't have to read it. Just because a woman created it and created it for other women doesn't mean that it's representative of women. So we shouldn't, I feel like we shouldn't get so sensitive if we don't like that a blog post is about polka dots, for instance, mm-hmm. um, because maybe there just is a polka dot loving audience out there. Right. <laughs> uh, and and most recently, as uh, for people who frequently visit our Facebook or our Tumblr might know, one thing that, one example of I'm going to go ahead and call it femphobia mm-hmm. that has come up recently online that really got my wheels a spinning and my fingers a typing was a post over at Jezebel uh by a writer for the HBO show Girls huge phenomenal success everybody's talking about girls and kind of in a similar way of saying hey Lena Dunham creator of girls what are you going to say for an entire generation of 20 something women right to which she said I don't know <laughs> sex is weird uh, and so Deborah Shoneman who's a writer for girls wrote actually she wrote an entire um, ebook based on this concept she came up with called The Woman Child. And the Jezebel column was an excerpt from that ebook. And The Woman Child, as you might imagine, is, according to Deb, can I call you Deb? I'll call you Deb. Uh, according to Deb, is uh, the female equivalent to the man-child. Like, it's the whole Judd Apatow, Seth Rogen guy stuck in Arrested Development, can't get his life together, and usually needs, like, a woman like Katherine Heigl to come around and maybe get pregnant. And, okay, wait, no, this is just the <laughs> plot of Knocked Up. <laughs> right. But you get what I'm saying. So she she writes this... Uh, this post railing against woman children, who she would uh, include in that list, like Zoe Deschanel, Katy Perry, Nicki Minaj, uh, and and essentially makes this laundry list of all of the ways that women are not being woman enough, that we are keeping ourselves down and infantilizing ourselves by doing things like enjoying Hello Kitty, polka dots, 
Sparkly nail polish. Women, I know we got a lot of listeners out there that like nail art. Fail. You're yeah. failing, according to Deb. <laughs> so uh, harsh. Taylor Swift. Her lyrics aren't serious enough. They're all about boys. Uh, playing boggle. Going to parties where you might drink wine and play games and eat pizza. Uh, listening to the music of Katy Perry. Basically anything that's not Patti Smith. So, and I'm being sarcastic, but just as, to point out how um how bothersome it is to to have that kind of like outright femphobia saying you know what it is my one perspective that all of you women that like certain things i don't care who you are and what you're doing with your life that hooded sweatshirt yes deb called out hooded sweatshirts as another sign of being a woman child I say yeah. it's a sign of being cold. Well, you know what, though? Like, let's give it context, which I think makes the hoodie comment even more interesting. She called out Sarah Silverman for it, comedian, 41 years old, and she specifies no children. You know, the childless Sarah Silverman, who's, you know, going to be a child forever because she wears T-shirts and hoodies. And then she closes out her post by repeating a child comment, but this time about herself, and says something to the effect of, you know, like from the safety of imminent motherhood, maybe you all just look like weirdos to me, basically. And so I kind of, it makes you wonder, like, well, basically, what's your problem? Well, or what's what's our problem? And again, like, I'm not I'm not saying all this to just go off on a total tangent, which I have, <laughs> against a writer from Girls who is fantastically successful and has met Katy Perry in real life. I haven't done that, um, but to to yeah, just to kind of call out like what what we're talking about in terms of how 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 sneaky femphobia can be. Um, and we've also talked before a couple of times now about a similar column that Julie Klausner, who is a comedian, amazing podcaster. She, uh, her podcast is How Was Your Week? And it's hilarious. And I listen to it all the time. And she says, hilarious, hilarious, which is why I just said it that mm-hmm. way. Uh, but she similarly, you know, kind of said, hey, ladies, enough with the rompers and putting birds on things. And all we're doing is trying to be these, quote, Twee dream girls to please men, like yeah. woman up, in other words. Yeah, she she sort of took women to task for instead of where we used to pretend to not understand math and need help, now we're just um, dressing as cute, like non-threatening girl women. Yeah, and and at least though, I will say. At least for Klausner, she makes this point, quote, the larger issue is that it's a lot easier for men or even guys or bros to demean us if we're girls. And I get what she's saying in that in that Mm -hmm. way. But again, it's the question of why does the feminine have to be inherently negative? Yeah. You know? I mean, and I've, and I've seen, you know, pictures of, of Klausner and like, and of, of Deb hanging out with her friends and, and there's a lot of lady kinds of things that I'm sure are being, um, enjoyed and indulged in. And I think that one of the, the main reasons why this femphobia has come up a lot on the blogosphere is because the women's section on the internet has really grown. You now have sites, like aside from just Jezebel, you have the launch of sites like ExoJane, Rookie, um, what else is up there? Hairpin. Hairpin, Hello Giggles, mm-hmm. and all of, and they're all doing really well. 
because women do great online and they're great with social media. And a lot of it is dominated by eye-catching nail art and polka dots and sparkles. And a lot of women also had a problem with that. Right. And the same month that Julie Klausner came out with her post, uh, Trisha Romano over at the Daily Beast also called for women's sites to grow up. And she expressed a real disappointment in the tone of these sites, mainly that there is this goal. Maybe they're stretching themselves too thin because they have this goal of reaching girls as young as 12 all the way up to women in their late 40s. She really calls out XO Jane because Jane Pratt, you know, she's like a celebrity to Gen X women kind of, you know, she she ran sassy and then had Jane Mag- Magazine, which I was a huge fan of and was crushed when that folded. Um, but now, you know, everybody waited with bated breath for Exo Jane to open. And it was kind of like a oh, kind of moment for a lot of people, I think, because I don't know. I don't know what they were waiting for. Some some maybe enlightening moment. And so they they really slammed. They came down hard on uh, Jane Pratt and her crew over there for not being everything they wanted them to be. Right. Romano refers to it as tickle me hormone content. And she specifically called out, um, there was a post by Emily McCombs, who is an editor over at Exo Jane, and she's a hilarious and insightful writer. Um, and she wrote a post for Exo Jane called, um, my rapist friended me on Facebook and all I got was this lousy article. Now people listening to this podcast who have no context to that post might say, well, sure, Romano was right. Like, why are you, uh, being so completely flip about that? Um, <laughs> and in response, uh, when Romano was talking about that post, she said that it was written in the, the tone of a post on, oh, no, they didn't, or a live journal message board. But I've read that post, for instance, and while, yes, the headline is very clickbaity and attention-grabby, uh, the actual content of it is gut-wrenching and completely honest. Mm-hmm. And when I finished reading it, I had to just sit still for a minute. Um, so I think that we have to, we got to look a little deeper into, into this content. Um, there was also a response to sort of the dog pile on top of these newer lady sites over at Bust Magazine. Um, and the writer says that while the content might be hit or miss, quote, shouldn't there be a place where people of various ages can go? Can you not like kittens and rainbows and still be a feminist? I think you can. I hope so. I hope so too. I mean, I know, I know, uh, if you, if you line this episode up with our Manic Pixie Dream Girl podcast, we might have gone a little hard on Zoe D. But it, no, but that, I don't think we are saying at all that like you can't be somebody who wears dresses and high heels and not be a feminist. Right, because that's the whole point of the, the problem with femphobia is that it's not kitten heels or ukuleles or really beautiful eyelashes <laughs> that I wish I had. Yeah, for real. The problem is what we culturally and automatically associate with those things, which is that, uh, you know, you are, you're just being a tool. Yeah, that you're not representing us well, mm-hmm. for, that you've gone out from the woman convention and you're not representing us well. Well, and to me, too, it's it's another 
dimension to the whole like cultural debate that's going on right now, which is completely exhausting about the concept of whether or not women, today's women who are doing so well, mm-hmm. statistically graduating from college and getting these jobs and actually making more money than men uh, and whether or not we can really have it all. Mm-hmm. And I don't know a single guy who's sitting around like telling other men, no, that's not the way, that's not the right way to be. Well, actually, no, there are, are guys who are doing that. And you know, the guys who are being called out for not being men in the correct ways are the ones who might be embracing a little bit more of the feminine femphobia. Yeah. It keeps coming up. Right. Exactly. Cause you're not, you, you're not doing it right. Uh, in these people's minds. And, uh, so another response, you know, Kristen mentioned Bus Magazine, but another response was from the editors over at Persephone Magazine. Um, and basically they have like this really long, basically transcribed conversation. And it's funny, but it really devolves into name calling, which is kind of tasteless. But in all of that, they do bring up a very good point, which I agree with that wearing glitter, and I'm sure, you know, your polka dots and your who what's and your whatnots, uh, and reading these blogs are harmless choices. So why? What What are we getting so up in arms about? Why are we um, shaming other women for writing this content, reading this content, wearing these clothes, listening to this music? What is What is the problem? Well, isn't there a touch of irony as well when we have these uh, so many of these and these are smart, sharp, and talented? Women in this example of emphobia that we're talking about who are perpetuating this cycle. And, but isn't it ironic that, um, on the other side of feminism and choice, the number one, like, kind of knee jerk critiques that you'll hear about feminists is that we are dull and unattractive and plain Jane and no offense to any Janes out there. <laughs> Um, and, you know, probably dress a certain way. We burn bras. You know, it's, it all gets tied up again with how we, uh, with our appearance and what we are choosing to put on or not put on. And to me, I feel like it's all a slice of the same pie. So I realize that this has been a very long, uh, kind of case study. In femphobia. And I'll be curious to hear from listeners, like maybe uh, perhaps we are uh, overanalyzing this. Um, maybe 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 we're taking it too seriously. Maybe we were taking the glitter a little bit too seriously. Well, no, I mean, I don't think we are. I think that the, you know, women hating on women, people hating on feminine things. It is an issue. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it it goes beyond just trying to insult somebody by saying they throw like a girl. There's there's more to it than that. And you know, it's one thing when it's like men harping on women because you know at least we can band together it's another thing i feel like when it's women harping on other women because it's like come on seriously you're harping on me because i'm wearing xyz you know like there's more to it than just what i wear yeah and there is a place for critique Mm -hmm. um but i think that we are just uh spinning wheels um and wasting time if we spend our critiques on those kinds of sort of throwaway things at the end of the day, they don't, they don't matter. They matter as much as a, you know, 
as a two-dollar ukulele, which that sounds like slang for something, but it's not. It's a really <laughs> cheap ukulele that you found at a thrift store for two dollars. Um, and again, just to kind of wrap things up and pull things out of the blogosphere, again, to reiterate that uh, we wanted to bring this up because of that aspect of intersectionality. It's not just women hating on women. It is something that is uh, pervasive and and harms all of us in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, intersectionality is a concept that's that's used to uh, to point out how all of our oppressive institutions, racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, ableism, everything is all intertwined. And femphobia, I feel like, is part of that nasty ball of yarn. Yeah, because it doesn't just affect women. Like you said, it does affect transsexuals. It affects boys who, you know, could be called sissies on the playground. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it affects a lot of people. And so it's a pervasive and ugly attitude. Yeah. So check yourself before you femphobia yourself. Hey. Hey, put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Yep. If anybody wants to make those and send them to us, we'll wear them. I think that T-shirt will probably end up at the thrift store next to that $2 ukulele. <laughs> oh, no. But, you know. So that's what we had to say about femphobia. We got it's, it's a little different from podcasts that we normally do. But a storm's been a brewing in my brain, Caroline. That's right. And I had to get it out. I've kind of got... I kind of got a femphobia rash on my neck at this point. I'm so worked up about this. You didn't need to know that. <laughs> now you do. It's hot in the studio. It is a little more. Okay, I thought I had a fever. I'm getting over a cold. I'm glad to know you're hot, too. So send us your thoughts on femphobia. Do you think that it's a real thing? And and where's the line between saying, hey, you know, like an, enough of this femininity bashing to saying, hey, maybe we should think twice about the deeper cultural meaning of this and that. Mm Because I think that it can be, that can also be a very tricky answer to, I am question, a tricky question to answer. Mm -hmm. Or an answer to question. You decide. Momstuff at discovery.com is where you can send us your thoughts. You can tweet us at momstuffpodcast or find us on Facebook. And in the meantime, we got a couple letters for you in relation to our two episodes on women in punk rock. But wait, Kristen, before we get to listener mail, we do have a message from one of our awesome sponsors today who brought us this episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You. It is jackthreads.com. They are quickly becoming the online shopping destination for dudes. So, our lady listeners out there, our dude listeners out there, anybody who's interested in clothes, awesome brands at a deep discount, you need to go to jackthreads.com. They have everything on the site marked at 80% off because full price is for suckers, as they say. They have awesome brands like Converse, Penguin, Busted Tees, Ben Sherman. I have a Ben Sherman sweater. I like it. But there's something special about this, ladies and gentlemen, because as a listener of Stuff Mom Never Told You, you can go to jackthreads.com slash mom and skip the membership wait list. So stock up for the holidays, get presents, just get yourself a sweater. That That's what I say. Go to jackthreads.com slash mom and show them a little love. So on with the letters. Got one here about... Pussy Riot from Chrissy, who says, 
My wife was born and raised in Kiev when it was part of the USSR. She and her family got out almost 20 years ago when she was a teenager. Over the last six years of being with her, I've learned a lot about what life is like there from her and my in-laws. With that, you reported stats from an Al Jazeera poll on Russians' opinions about Pussy Riot, and those numbers are, in my opinion, not to be trusted. Maybe they're an outline or a sketch. We do not really know about what the Russian people actually truly think of Pussy Riot. I'm sure members of the Russian Orthodox Church tut-tut about it, understandably. But not only is Russian news under the control of Putin, more glaringly, the extreme paranoia about saying anything against the state is pervasive. Russians are forever, metaphorically, looking over their shoulders. In terms of the expectations of women, you did take this on a bit, which I'm glad for. Russian women are feared because they are not supposed to speak up or be rude. Even now, women are expected to be quiet, demure, agreeable, and just do what is expected. As in, take the food offered to you at a friend's dinner party, even if you don't want it, because if you say no, even very nicely, it may cause a scene and you will be seen as rude. Don't say no. It's all about being proper. Propriety is key. I think that fuels the hooliganism issues. So thanks for your insight, Christy. Okay, and here's a, an email from Miss Max that actually, interestingly enough, ties together both our punk episode and an earlier one we did where we mentioned self-pelvic exams. And, you know, I said I would never do one. But, okay, so she says that she wanted to give us a little insight from the life of a woman living in the punk scene. She says... I always knew since I was a little girl that I wasn't made like the rest of the world, and when I first laid eyes on a group of punks, I knew where I needed to be. This world is loud and aggressive at first glance, but I find that punks tend to be more aware of social, political, economic, and environmental issues than the average American. As for feminism in the punk scene, it does exist, but I'm glad to say that I never felt like I needed to fight for my rights as a woman in this world. From my point of view, I feel like I'm an equal, just as tough and competent as anyone else. Women and men share all the chores and hard work pretty much equally, and I feel encouraged to learn and teach anything. Some women disagree and fight for more equality, but I am happy in this world. I don't get talked down to like I would in normal society, and I'm proud of my community. If there was ever a need for me to speak up, I know I would be given a platform and listened to as well. And so now she jumps to an older podcast that we did about the pregnancy tests, and she says, uh, I remember buying a zine when I was about 18 that taught you how to perform a self-pelvic exam, and it came with a mirror flashlight and a sterile-packaged plastic speculum. It was super cool. I wish I had some to send. Thank you, Miss Max. I appreciate how you tied those things together. It's very interesting. And thanks to everybody who's written in. Momstuff at discovery.com is where you can send your letters. And you can also tweet us at Momstuff Podcast and find us on Facebook and check out our blog on Tumblr, stuff mom never told you.tumblr.com. And if you would like to give your brain a little treat, why don't you head over to our website? It's howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 